friends, <laughs> you are not Boaz in this story. The wise, benevolent, strength-filled, grace-filled redeemer. In this story, we are, we are Ruth. We are the redeemed. We are the saved. We are the people given a fresh start and a new life through grace alone and faith alone. So this morning then, uh, we are going to continue our study uh, through the book of Ruth, uh, often used uh, in, uh, in Bible studies, uh, less often uh, preached. But it's a, it's a book within the big book, therefore it's a book that points to Jesus, therefore there is tremendous value uh, to the public teaching uh, of the book of Ruth. Uh, this morning we're going to be in chapter 2 and uh, if you didn't if you weren't with us last week for the message really encourage you to get over to sarfellowship.com or wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, find the message from Ruth chapter 1 uh, this week it's a it's a continuous narrative so we just pick up right where we left off last week and last week in Ruth chapter 1 uh, the, the the big takeaway for us practically personally was that we should back up what we say with what we do. If we're going to be talking the talk, we really ought to walk the walk. And if we claim we love people, if we say that we love this, that and the other, if we don't actually do anything about it, um, those words are just hollow and fruitless and um, just a big fat lie, basically. We talked about Ruth, we talked about Orpah, we talked about Naomi, evidencing what you feel uh, and what you say you feel by what you do. And we finished with the ultimate example of love in action uh, in the, the truth that God gave his one and only son, put his action, uh, put his feeling into action. He, he, he says that he loves you. He demonstrated it in the most tremendous way possible uh, by taking on flesh dying for you and rising again. Today then we're going to take a look at chapter 2 and we like I said it's a continuous narrative chapters and verses were added in hundreds of years after these texts were written so it's just one continuous narrative story account and uh, we pick up today at the, it's the start of the harvest season as we learn uh, from the last verse of chapter 1. So if you've not done so already, let's open up those Bibles to Ruth. And the last verse, the last sentence, the last idea, thought, in Ruth chapter 1, is that they, Naomi and Ruth, came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And uh, so we're going to pick it up right there. It's harvest time. They're back in Bethlehem. And I would really, really encourage you this morning uh, to grab a pen, a highlighter, a notebook, uh, something to mark up your Bibles or your notebook, however you like to uh, record these big ideas and big truths, because we're going to come back to some stuff in chapter 2 next week uh, in chapter 3. Uh, one word of friendly caution, if you're marking up your Bibles uh, with pens, highlighters, stickers, whatever, Please make sure that your Bibles are marking your lives as well. It's pointless to have a beautifully coloured and underlined and highlighted Bible if it does nothing for you. So if you're marking up your Bibles, make sure your Bibles are marking up your life as well. 
So, Ruth chapter 2, let's walk through it together. Uh, we're going to give a quick overview. What does it say? Then we'll look at what it means. And then we are going to wrap it all up. So in chapter 2, we meet Boaz, the third main player uh, in this account, in this narrative. And uh, his name, Boaz, means that in him is strength. The name Boaz means in him is strength. So straight away, it makes you think, what's this guy going to be like? What's this guy going to do? Who is this guy? And um, it's going to be really natural. You are, in your mind, you are going to make yourself Boaz in this story. I did it when I read it the first time, but please don't, please, please fight that urge. You are not Boaz in this story. Please don't try and make yourself Boaz. So Boaz, his name means in him is strength. All the men in church are thinking, yeah, that's me. I'm a Boaz for sure. And, um, <laughs> but guys, please, you're not. You're not Boaz in this story. His name means in him is strength. And we read in verse 1 that Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. We said this is happening at the same time as the book of Judges is going on, where uh, men of worthy men, people of good character and conduct, uh, were few and far between. He's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Later in, the, in, the, in, in Ruth, I think it's in chapter 4, he describes himself as a relative of Elimelech, so he's definitely in the family. And maybe here, maybe your Bible says he is a kinsman of Elimelech. If you read in the King James, uh, it's going to say Naomi had a kinsman of her husband. And this is a really, really important word and, and, and idea and concept. So if you've got that pen, if you've got that highlighter, is the first thing to be marking up. Naomi had a relative of her husband's. You can underline, highlight, relative. And if it doesn't say kinsman in your Bible, you can write kinsman. Uh, various form, forms of this word, uh, kinsman, uh, redeemer, redeemed, redemption, kinsman, redeemer, come up more than 20 times uh, in the book of Ruth. And it's a very, very important concept and a, and a, and a theme throughout. So that's the first thing to be marking up and highlighting. Naomi had a relative of her husband, Boaz, this kinsman. So to say that he was a kinsman is, 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 more, is, to, is to say more than, you know, look, uh, he's an uncle's cousin's friend's dad's granddad's cousin. Okay, it's not some distant, odd relative that you might see once every two years at a wedding or something like that. To say that he was a kinsman, it's, it's quite a special role uh, in the family. It's uh, is, is a, a family representative as such. We could say he's like the head of the family kind of thing. He's the, he's the, he's the main guy in the family. So we've met Boaz. And remember last week, uh, Naomi and Ruth have come back. Ruth has come back despite being told, look, this is going to be a bitter life for you. The life of a widow is, is not going to be much fun. It's going, to be, it's going to be tough. So they get back to Bethlehem. And Ruth puts herself into action to provide for herself and Naomi straight away. Uh, notice with me, verse 2, Ruth says, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. 
So Ruth here then, uh, most likely, because Naomi's told her, Ruth understands the, the rights and Ruth understands what is provided for the poor or what was provided for the poor in Israel at the time. And they could follow the harvesting people, the, the farm workers, through the fields and kind of take everything that's been missed or left or dropped. You can read about this in Leviticus chapter 19. And the, you know, the, the outer corners of the field were to be left basically for the poor. So they could help themselves uh, through a difficult time. Some landowners were known to be so generous that they left an entire quarter of their field for the poor, for the needy, for the migrant worker. So Ruth didn't wait for Naomi to serve her and kind of, you know, tap up some connections and whatnot. Ruth got out there and went to work. She took the initiative. Naomi encouraged her, sure. She said, go, my daughter. But Ruth was into action. She says, let me go to the field. And I will glean among, I'll go to work. I'll put myself into action to provide for us. And then through verses 2, and three, we really see this providential hand of God in, in, in action. If Ruth was going to stay home, if Ruth stayed home and waited for a super spiritual feeling before she went out and put herself into action, she probably would have waited there uh, much, much longer. But Ruth has put herself into action because the, the, the truth of her circumstances have demanded that something needs to happen here. So she's out into action, but she trusts the Lord with her actions. Notice with me, she says, I'm going to go to work in whose sight I shall find favour. So she knows something's to be done, but she's going to trust the Lord to show her, to guide her, to provide her with a, a place to, to work. And we said, didn't we, last week that part of the message uh, of the book of Ruth is seeing God at work in the day-to-day -day actions and interactions uh, of our lives. Most of us, uh, if, if we're really honest and truthful, have very, very, very few huge, massive, life-changing moments where we powerfully and providentially see the hand of God working in the moment. More often, it's when we pause and when we look back and we see all the dots connected, you know, so I went to this college and I met this person and I took this class and I got this job and I was transferred here and I met this person and they took me to this church. Or I met this person's friends, friends, friend, and we got married. Those kind of things, when you look back at the moment, they all seem like kind of mundane day-to-day -day interactions and, and, and choices. When you look back, you think, wow, all these steps in the chain, all these dots needed to connect. But you've put yourself out there and you're going to work. And like Ruth, then we've got to trust that when we take some action, but we trust the Lord to guide and provide along the way. And God does evidence for us in verse 3. Read it with me. We see that in verse 3, look, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to trust the Lord to provide. And we read, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. What, how providential, how godly ordered. Uh, she happened 
we read, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Happened here means it's by chance, it's by fate, it's by destiny. Now, as believers in a sovereign God, we would say it's by providence. You know, God has providence. He's, he's, he's organized these and, and arranged circumstances and situations and times and places. All these things are working together for the good of Ruth here. And then we meet Boaz. Now again, I say this with all the love in the world, you are not Boaz in this story. Many of you are going to want to be Boaz. Uh, and it's a very human urge uh, because he's kind of the good guy uh, in this story. You're going to imagine yourself to be Boaz. But please, please don't. Please fight that urge. Stay with me till the end. And, uh, and you, you'll see why. We meet Boaz then. His first words are godly. In verse 4, he speaks the language of faith. He's observant. He notices what's going on around him. And then we see his, how grace-filled this strong man is. Now we're going to read together from verses 8 and 9. It's Boaz and Ruth's first Interaction. It's the first time they talk to one another. So read with me Ruth 2 verses 8 and 9. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty... Go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Here he calls a daughter, and it's just a, it's a term of endearment. It's a friendly, respectful, loving term. There's nothing strange going on. And he's, so at the moment, Boaz is definitely talking the talk, isn't he? He is saying the right things here. And then in verse 10, Ruth replies, and she says to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? Because I'm a foreigner. Now, if you're highlighting, if you're underlining, I want you to highlight or underline or whatever you're doing, the word favor. Why have I found favor in your eyes? Uh, it's also, this is a very, very common word in the Old Testament and can just as easily and accurately be translated as grace unmerited favor getting good stuff without earning it why have i found grace in your eyes why are you taking notice of me since i'm a foreigner so if you're highlighting if you're underlining favor if you're marking up your bibles and your bibles are going to mark up you grace why have i found grace in your eyes boaz why are you taking any notice of me I'm just a foreigner so here's ruth the foreigner, she's not part of God's people by birth or descent. Ruth found grace and favor and acceptance into the family at the hand of the kinsman, the head of the family. Ruth found grace and favor and acceptance into the family from this man in whom is strength. Boaz then says, and this is definitely something to highlight, underline. Boaz then says, in chapter 2, verse 12, 
The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now this is what we're going to come back to this week. So if you're highlighting, if you're underlining, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Did you highlight that? Have you marked that up in your Bibles? Especially the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Please tell me you've highlighted that. We're coming back to it next week, whether you did or didn't. So Boaz here is, is kind of saying, he's answering Ruth's question. Why, Ruth, you know, why have I found grace here? And if we we're going to paraphrase what he said in verses 11, 11 and 12. If we we're going to paraphrase what he said, he says, um, May God bring you to peace for everything that has happened. Caring for Naomi, leaving father and mother and cleaving to your new family. Stepping out in faith and moving to a land and a people that you didn't know. May God bring you to peace for this. May your covenant be fulfilled by God, under whose protection and provision you have placed yourself by doing all of this. So, Ruth, why have you found grace here? Because you've hoped and trusted in God and put yourself under his wings, under his trust, under his protection, his provision. Why have you found grace here, Ruth? May you receive grace. May you receive peace. May you be fulfilled. May he, the Lord, God, may he fulfill you and reward your trust, your hope, and your faith. That's what Baez is saying. There's a lot going on here. We're definitely, definitely coming back to chapter 2, verse 12 next week. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So far then, Boaz has been graceful, he's been generous, and he's certainly talked the talk. He is saying the right things, isn't he? But remember, <laughs> you are not Boaz in this story. Uh, then he backs it all up. But he, he's talking the talk, and now he's going to back it up with some action. He's going to walk the walk as well. He shares a meal with Ruth. He shows her care. He shows her protection. He gives her far more than she needs. Verses 14 through 16. And then Ruth works in the field until it's evening. Time to go home. She beats out what she's collected. She's, you know, she's taken it from the field. And she's now prepared it to take home so it's usable. And she goes home to Naomi with a generous day's takings and some leftover food from her lunch. She gets home to Naomi and Naomi's obviously impressed uh, with, with everything that, that Ruth has, has brought. She says, to, she says to, uh, to Ruth, where did you glean today? Where, where have you worked today? And where have you worked? Where have you been? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Naomi's obviously impressed with the amount that Ruth has brought home for her. Ruth says it was Boaz. And then Naomi reveals who he really is. So read with me verses 20 to 23. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close, to my, keep close by 
my young men, until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Just notice with me, read again verse 20. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this is the really important bit, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now maybe your Bible says one of our redeemers, uh, he is our guardian, uh, he's one of our kinsmen, he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. And again, it's this concept that we talked about at the start of being that very, having that very special role in the family where you could redeem, you could rescue, you could save people out of poor situations. Boaz was that close relative, but, but more than that, he, Naomi's told her that he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. He could act as a redeemer, as a rescuer, of property and of people. Boaz could redeem this situation. These two childless widows who were very prepared to, to live a bitter life. Boaz could redeem this situation. He could take something that was tragically broken and redeem and restore it. He could redeem Ruth and Naomi from a bitter life by fulfilling a particular law and you can read about that in Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 through to 10 where a brother of a deceased man could marry his widow and provide for them a, a child a son to raise up his name to keep the inheritance going but let me say that there's a little bit in there let me say it again Boaz could redeem this situation Boaz could redeem Ruth and Naomi by fulfilling laws though he wasn't actually a brother to, to Marlon Ruth's deceased husband he was a close relative of the family so he could do this if he wanted to Boaz could redeem this situation by fulfilling laws if he had the will to do so if this man in whom there is strength, if he chose to, he could come along, fulfill laws and redeem people. So even though Ruth was not originally in the family of, of God's people, she's not an Israelite. She described herself as a foreigner, didn't she? Even though she was not originally a part of this plan through grace, she has been accepted and now stands ready to be redeemed by this kinsman redeemer. Chapter 2 then finishes uh, with us reading that Ruth stayed on the job uh, until the end of the barley and wheat harvests and she lived with her mother-in-law. Uh, and this is, this is possibly all the way from March right through to the end of July. Uh, so this was not a single provision made by Boaz, that Ruth needs to seek out again, and again, and again, and again. 
He's provided for her once and it's going to last. She doesn't need to seek it out again and again and again. His word is good. Things might change around them, but he has said, this is going to happen for you, Ruth. And it's going to happen for her. The, the, the grace that she has been shown was never going to run out or diminish. There was real staying power and longevity in the words of the Redeemer here. In this context, his word was never going to fail. As summer progressed, the grass was going to wither, the flowers were going to fall, but his word of protection, of provision, and of grace would never fail. So in a way, Ruth has already been redeemed currently, hasn't she? She's been redeemed from living the bitter life of a childless widow to one who is part of the family for now until the end of the season, to the end of this season of her life. Ruth has been provided for and given everything she needs to live a good life. But then what's going to happen to her at the end of the harvest? What's going to happen once this period and this season in her life is finished? Is it going to get worse? Would things change? Are things going to get better? Does she need to worry about the future? Given that her Redeemer has, has spoken some things over her, or would things get even better? Well, we'll see that next week in chapter 3. So that's what's going on in chapter 2. So what does it mean for us then? Is there, a, is there a lesson here for you and for me and for us? We said right at the start that the book of Ruth is, uh, is often used to teach some good old-fashioned moral truths. Uh, lots of the Old Testament is used like that. Uh, but as we've said, and that, that's, that's not incorrect. But it isn't complete. You know, Jesus walking the road to Emmaus uh, didn't say, he didn't open up most of Scripture and showed the two disciples the things concerning himself. He opened up all of it. And, uh, and in John 5, 39, Jesus doesn't say, look, you search the Scriptures looking for eternal life. Some of them talk about me. Some of them are just for yourself. It's they, total, full, all of them, that testify to him. So, is there a lesson for you and me in Ruth chapter 2? Sure. Verses 15 and 16, we see we ought to practice what we preach. Read with me again, uh, verses 15 and 16. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So that's Boaz practicing what he preached back in verses 8 and 9. He'd, he'd said to Ruth, look, I'm going to take care of you and don't, don't worry, we'll provide for you. And then he's actually done something about it here in verses 15 and 16. The lesson for you, for me, for us then, is that if you claim certain things, if you make statements about what you will and won't do, it's so important to come through on them, isn't it? Otherwise, it's hollow, your words are empty, and you lose all credibility in that person that you've made a claim to and not followed through on. 
So really, really practically, if, you, if you're at work and you say you're going to do something by Tuesday, do it by Tuesday. If you agree with somebody to be somewhere by 3 o'clock, be there ready to go at 3 o'clock. Don't make a statement about, yeah, I'll be at that meeting that starts at 3, and then come sliding and crashing in at 2.59. You know, if you claim to be following Jesus, actually follow Jesus in thought and in word and in action with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. If you want to do, if you want to do that, if you've committed to do that, but nobody's ever taken the time and talked and walked you through what that actually looks like in the minutiae and the, the, the daily details of your life, please do get in touch with us and we would love to walk through that with you. But if you're claiming to follow Jesus, please do. Really, really simply, do what you say you're going to do. Because when this becomes really dangerous is that whether you know it or not, whether it's intentional or not, you are using your character and your words and your actions to display the wonderful truth that you are saved, sealed and being sanctified as a believer in Jesus. Therefore, making empty claims and promises really hurts that example and really hurts your witness, doesn't it? So it's really dangerous. The practical from Ruth chapter 2 verses 15 and 16 is practice what you preach. But where is Jesus in there? Let's look again at the person of Ruth in this chapter and then apply this to you. I know naturally that you want to be Boaz in this chapter, um, but we're not. We're not Boaz in this chapter, in this story, in this, in this account. We are Ruth. And let me tell you why. Ruth was not originally in the family of God's people, not an Israelite. She described herself as a foreigner in verse 10. You and me, most of us, are the same. We're not part of God's family of people by birth or descent. And, like Ruth, through grace, we have been accepted into the family and now stand ready to be redeemed by faith alone. Ruth was provided for here by Boaz for the duration of the harvest season. You and me are so provided for in Christ. We have access to everything that we ever need this side of eternity until this season of our life finishes. And without giving too much away for chapter 3 next week, there is no need to be anxious about the future because when this season of our life is over, what comes next is even better. If you've never read the book, the Bible, if you've never read the Bible to the end, please do. Uh, Ruth has, uh, in, in, a, in a way, Ruth has already been redeemed. She's been redeemed from a bitter life of a childless widow to somebody who is part of the family. And in the same way, you and me have already been redeemed because we've been justified before God by faith alone. We have already been redeemed. 
we are being redeemed through the ongoing daily process of sanctification. That's a big Christianese word, but it just means that day by day, little by little, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. So we have been redeemed, we are being redeemed, and ultimately we will be redeemed, ultimately and eternally, when we close our eyes here in physical death and open them in the presence of our Saviour, of our Redeemer. Friends, <laughs> you are not Boaz in this story, the wise, benevolent, strength-filled, grace-filled Redeemer. In this story, we are, we are Ruth. We are the redeemed. We are the saved. We are the people given a fresh start and a new life through grace alone and faith alone. God put his great love for you into action and gives you now the opportunity to be taken under his wing in refuge as we read in, in verse 12. In his great love for you, he came, he lived, he died, and he rose to become your redeemer. In a course here, we're talking about Jesus. Like Ruth here, we bring nothing but ourselves and a willing spirit. Like Ruth, we have found grace, favor, acceptance, adoption and redemption through hope and faith and trust in Jesus. We stand ready to be redeemed and redeemed. We stand redeemed and ready to be redeemed by the one in whom is strength, a greater and truer Boaz. This guy who came out of great love to fulfill laws to redeem you. Like Ruth then, we ought to say these wonderful truths. Let's read again verse 13. All these wonderful things that we've just said. Our response. I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Thank you.